All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Atkins Family Podcast. I am your host, Benjamin Atkins, and I am joined by my lovely wife, Takia Atkins. And today, I guess you can consider this a part two of our previous forgiveness forgiveness podcast, excuse me. But we will be talking about forgiveness basically from the other person's perspective. What I like to call the offender versus the offended. Mm-hmm. But yes, we'll be going over the process of walking out restoration and how to handle someone walking out the process of forgiveness and your roles and responsibilities as the person who committed the hurt. So uh, before I get into the specific topics and whatnot, I just like to lay it out. Remember, this is a faith faith-based podcast. So everything we say will be grounded in the word of the Lord. And that is the guiding light <laughs> for our marriage. It is authoritative. It is inerrant. And it is something to be followed in our everyday life. So with that said, um, Takia, how, before I go into it, how, what do you think are some of the things that somebody that is, that has hurt someone, how has that process been for you as far as how I've walked through it with you? And what are the things you think I did right or did wrong? Or just how are you feeling about that so far? Um, I would say, I think, I think it's um something that the offended never wants to really say because they kind of feel like it's handing over the keys, but the offender is hurt too. So it's, um, it's hard to say when you're, when you're deep in the hurt, cause your, your judgment is clouded and all this stuff. But for the offended, acknowledging that the offender has feelings too. Acknowledging that the the offender has um, a hurt attached to whatever it is that they did. Um, so th- that's a huge part of it. And and understanding that it doesn't mean you you are handing over the keys. It actually welcomes reconciliation that much quicker when you acknowledge that um, both parties are going through a hurt. Now, they're hurting for different reasons. Um and I know sometimes the offended uh, uses the excuse that there's no way that that other person could be hurting because if they were hurting, they would have just never did what they did. Um, but like we talked about in the last podcast, everyone is capable of hurting someone. And that doesn't mean that they don't love you. Um, it just means that they're human. Um, so that's one big thing that I think uh, even for myself. It was just hard to acknowledge as far as what you might have um, did right. I think in the very beginning, um, you took responsibility, um, confessed to things. And um, then you tried to start walking the process out on your own. Um, and then I think when it got a, a little bit weighty as far as what you might have did wrong, when it got a little bit uh, like it wasn't happening fast or um I think sometimes when you do something wrong, I I say all the time, you know, it takes probably about five seconds, maybe a minute, 
maybe maybe a couple of minutes, maybe an hour to do something wrong. But it could take years to restore what what was lost in those years or those minutes and those hours. And so it's so much easier to commit to the wrong than it is to commit to the trying to get the wrong right again. So I think um, not necessarily doing anything wrong. What we both have realized at this point in our marriage is that um, hindsight is twenty twenty, uh, and things time does not heal, but time does bring a, a sense of clarity. Now, here's the thing. Time brings clarity, but you have to be open to what that clarity reveals. So like I said, as time brought clarity, I realized I'm not the only one hurting. My husband, my husband is hurting too. That was, that was very clear. I had to accept that though. Cause I could have just walked around and been like, nah, he ain't hurting. Ain't nothing wrong with him. I could have kept that same mindset. Um, so time bring time brought so much clarity to us both. And we just had a conversation yesterday, just realizing, you know, we were told a lot of things by a lot of people to try to restore our our marriage and restore the trust that was broken and restore all this stuff. Um, neither one of us were ready to receive in the very beginning, the things that we were being told um, in any way, shape or form. It was like we spent so much time trying to find a way around doing what we were told we needed to do. And that was both of us. So um um, I'm I'm trying to frame it so that, you know, it's not just what you might have did wrong because we both did wrong. But I think that was that was wrong um, on both our parts, you know, just hearing wisdom and not heeding it. That's something that was wrong. You know, you hear because we we definitely were surrounded by people who would walk through some of the same things that we walked through and they told us how to get out of it. And we both were just like looking at that process, looking at what they were saying. It was like, nah, I ain't doing that. I guarantee you I'm gonna find another way to accomplish what you accomplished. Just it's just going to be different. I'm not going to have to put all that work in. Um, so I would say that. But right as far as what you might have done right, I would say commitment to the process. Um, even when you have moments of you got knocked back down, maybe you went back, maybe you, whatever, um, take you a little, uh, take you a little minute, a little bit longer than I would like, but, uh, you'd always come back and be like, okay, you know, what, what are we going to do now? Like how, you know, just, or not even what we're going to do now, but we're still committed to getting better. And I would say that was our, our, I believe that if it wasn't for your, um, your commitment, that our marriage would be over. Um, because I it was just like, yeah, this, I, I'm leaving. And, uh, I think if you had agreed, if you had had the same mindset of, okay, you know, there's nothing left, uh, it, it can't be fixed. Then we definitely probably would have been, um, headed down a road that, um, I mean, you can take it back, but uh, it would have been a hard, hard, long process to get it back harder than what this actually is. So I would say your commitment, you always talk about a resolve and um, your resolve was definitely strong, um, stronger than mine. Um, and that that was the um, the anchor, if you will, of our marriage. Uh, you were. And, and the beautiful thing is that I think that was the beginning of you taking your role as um, husband, as leader of the household, 
If you didn't get nothing else right, that was one thing you got right. I got married. I love you. And we're going to do this thing. So um, I'm going to hop off my soapbox. But yeah, that's what I'd say. Okay, good. Thank you for sharing your feelings, sharing mm-hmm. your thoughts and opinions. Just wanted to let you get in and say some things before I get started because I'm about to be on my soapbox probably for the rest of the podcast. There we go. <laughs> you can <laughs> chime in when you feel necessary. Yeah. But uh, just to get into it, um, first I want to start off with like debunking some myths that people may have when it comes to walking out the restoration process when one party has offended another, has hurt another. And I think the first one I want to start out with, Takiya kind of touched on it, is that time heals all wounds. This is something that I even carried in my thought process for a extended period of time, especially early on in the relationship. And while yes, actually, no, it's not true. What, what what has to be done is people confuse the passing of time and actually doing something during that time with the fact that time is the thing that healed the hurt and pain. And that's simply not true. We must be active participants in the process and the time that is passing for it to actually be beneficial for the progress of the marriage. I think the biggest thing that time on its own may be able to do is, is like what Takiya said, provide clarity on the situation because as you get further away from the hurt, you'll be able to put things in its proper perspective. But that does not mean that the hurt will hurt any less or that the marriage has been restored from the destruction that has taken place. So I think the first thing that I want to get out of people's mind is that just the simple passing of time will remedy the things that were broken by one's party transgressions. You got any thoughts on that? Um, hmm. No, not yet. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so remember, we must be active participants in the process. And then that active participation over time is what yields the results. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I do got some. I think, I think you gotta, you, you gotta, if you're talking about being an active participant, the hardest part about doing that is uh, humility, especially for the person. If we're talking about it from your perspective, the person who has offended the other person, um, being humble enough to adhere to what the offended might be asking you to do in that time that's passing, being humble enough to um, number one. And I think this is the hardest piece it's not necessarily the fact that you have to do whatever the offended is saying. It's the fact that on your own, you have to acknowledge the the hurt you caused. Um, and I think that's what hinders people from being an active participant as time passes um, is, is they have not even, um, even though sometimes we confess, you know, we say I did something wrong. It's really, really hard to a- acknowledge the weight of what you might have did wrong 
Um, and that's why I would say it's a it's a bad deal when you think about it. It only took you a couple of seconds or minutes or hours to do something. But you weren't really thinking about what it was going to cost you. And um, as time is passing, it's going to cost you a lot, um, especially if trust has been broken. It's going to cost you a lot. So um, I would say to that point, as time is passing, one of the biggest things you have to do is uh, you got to look at yourself in the mirror. If when you when you're making these decisions, um, you're 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 having to acknowledge over and over and over again that you hurt somebody. That's not easy. So that's what I'd say to that. And if you guys hear anything in the background, we are joined by our two month old daughter once again on the podcast. So she'll be chiming in every now and again. But yeah, just excuse Aubrey. (laughs) (laughs) It is the Atkins family podcast. So you get the whole family. All three of us. (laughs) Right. So yeah, so that's the first one I want to debunk the time myth. We must be active in the restoration process. Both the offender and the offended. There is work to be done on both sides. Yeah. All right. Sorry about that, folks. We had to get Aubrey put to sleep real quick. So. Once again, this is the Atkins Family Podcast. So she wanted to get in on a little bit. <laughs> but where were we talking about some serious stuff? Oh, you were talking about time. So I won't beat the dead horse too much, but time, that's, that's a big myth. Time does not heal all wounds. Active participation over time is what heals the wounds. Next one I want to talk about is that if we just sit and pray that God will miraculously take away the pain, the hurt, and trust will be restored and everything will go back to being all fine and dandy. Mm-hmm. And that couldn't be farther from the truth. I'm going to break down, you know, a couple of things that can be that can be done over this process from the perspective of the offender. And definitely prayer is part of it. That's going to be like the spiritual aspect of this process is number one on the list. But. That is not. The only one on the list. There has to be participation on your part for things to change in the marriage. Yeah, I would say that um, that's definitely true. The Bible says that faith without works is dead. So I can believe all day that God is going to heal and restore. But if I'm not doing anything, then nothing's going to change. Nothing nothing is going to happen. Um, so, I mean, it kind of it ties right in with that time thing. You uh, if you're not doing nothing, then nothing's going to happen. God is not God. God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, they're all gentlemen. So you have to invite them in. You have to welcome them in. But you also have to work with them. It's a relationship. It's not just him uh with his mighty hand coming in and and doing all this stuff, the goal of a relationship with God is to become better. So as I'm becoming better, um, as, as I'm getting closer to him and becoming more like him, I'm having to do things that he would do. 
And the beautiful thing is when even when we're going to go back to this forever, but since we're talking about the Bible, Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit went to the ends of the earth to fix something that they didn't even do wrong. Adam sinned, Eve sinned, and he spent God spent how how long trying to fix the mess that somebody else made? So if he had to do all that to fix somebody else's mess, how much more do you have to do to fix your mess? Man, she she jumping ahead of the gun because we're gonna we're gonna talk about that also. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's that's right on the money. That's right on the money. And then there's there's another myth that I want to debunk, and this will help the offended and that one is we talked about this the last podcast and after this we'll get into some practical stuff that you can do but that myth is they would not do that if they loved me that person would not hurt me if they loved me and ultimately this this works in multiple cases because The reason why this is thought is only because that person is so close to you. But if you just take yourself out of the situation as the person that has been hurt and just replace yourself with, for example, if you do have a Bible believing spouse with Christ, they would not do X, Y, Z because they love Christ. That is false. Us as human beings, we are fallen in nature. So as every Christian in their Christian walk will say they love Christ and the best Christians you find will still do things that go against the will of God. They still do things that grieve the Holy Spirit. They still do things that are sin. In your case, you are a human being. You're not even that person's God. So if you put yourself in comparison to God, not as on the same playing field, but understanding your actual place in the, in the terms of the Bible, you as the lowly human being, then it would make it easier for you to not expect so much of someone else for yourself because they can't even give that to their own creator and the person that saved or that died for their salvation. And then Takiya also has a very good way of explaining, which I'll let her say. Um yeah, yeah. I think um you 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 number one, taking it taking yourself out of it um is very important. I like the point that you made when you said um replacing it with Christ because it that's one thing I I have to think about all the time when you're thinking about somebody else hurting you, you got to think about throughout the day, how many times, like you said, we grieve the Holy Spirit. I was just thinking yesterday, you know, how much I I do or don't do when it, when it comes to my relationship with God. And he's the reason why I have breath in my body and, and I offend him. So like, I really had to take a minute and, and think about how much I've offended God. Just just by doing or or not even spending time with him. So and I love him. I love God. So when you think when you put it in that perspective, it becomes a lot clearer because it's like, okay, look at what I'm doing. And I know I love God, 
Um, so you're looking at the other person and it actually um, brings, if you allow it, and that's the thing when it comes to this forgiveness thing, when once you allow it, your heart is so softened because you realize this is just another human being that's just as broken and as sick because of sin. Um, and when I say sick, I mean like, I'm not saying like they sick in the head, but Sin brings about the sickness um, that causes us to be selfish, that causes us to um, see things in, in this in this light that they, they really are not. Um, it's this cloud over our eyes. And um, both people in a marriage, and even if we extend it to other situations, because it can be extended to mother, daughter, father, daughter, father, son, um, mother and son, uh, both people. Um, suffer from sin. So when you get that clear in your mind, you realize you can love somebody deeply and still hurt them. And why is that true? I would say because you're hurting. Most people, whenever they're doing something wrong, it's to remedy something that's broken on the inside of them. And again, here, here it comes with the humility. There are I can't say like me and my husband talk about it all the time. He is not. Um, I know that people say, um, I guess when you look at it, men are more prone to lust. Women are more prone to emotional affairs. Um, so humility is very important in this process because he's not the only one that has thoughts or, or, or does things that he shouldn't. I do too. And, and I think, as, as we've grown, what, what I've learned is what helps you. The only thing that keeps me from doing some of the same stuff he's done is humility. That when I have the thoughts or when I feel the feelings, being humble enough to, to come to my spouse and say, look, this is how I'm feeling. Like, this ain't good. It don't look good. It don't feel good. It's not going to feel good for you. Um, so in that, that piece I see that the only difference between me and him is something that I've learned over time that maybe he hasn't learned yet. So when you start looking at it like that, it's like, okay, well, this is what marriage is. This is what it's supposed to be that we share and that we, um, all the lessons that we've learned, we give the other person time and space to learn the same lessons. So it's just that humility. So it's not that the other person doesn't love you. Most of the time, it's literally that the other person has not learned whatever it is to 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 love you a certain way. It's not that they don't love you. They just don't love you a certain way yet. And once you get that, because you think about it, we love God. And when we first get saved, we're all, you know, like most people are um, just ready to do everything to please him. And, and that's that honeymoon phase. And then it goes away. And then you have to teach yourself how to do certain things. You have to allow the Holy Spirit to teach you how to spend time in his word and how to study and how to worship. It's the same way with a marriage. There are things that you have to learn over time. And unfortunately, as you are learning, you'll make mistakes. That does not mean that you don't love the other person. That doesn't mean that the other person doesn't love you. And I know that that's hard to hear. It's hard to um, to. Uh, let sink in. But once you let it sink in, you realize we doing this thing together. So, I mean, it just, it, it brings back the beauty to the commitment and the vow that you made whenever you got married. So, yeah. Yeah. She explained it beautifully. I thought she was going to go to the, 
Peter analogy. Oh, how Peter. <laughs> oh yeah, I see. Denied Jesus three times. <laughs> I forgot all about that, but yeah, that's um, when you think about it, man. Peter was uh, Peter was a gangster, uh, but he loved God. Like Peter has some ways about him that was extremely cricket, cricket, and and God told Peter upon this rock. Upon you, I'ma build my church. Peter loved God. And I think it was Peter who cut that man's ear off um in the garden. Peter, like I said, Peter had some ways about him that would make you question. Cause if you love God, the Bible says this. If I I know I love God because I follow his commands. Nowhere in the Bible does it say to cut somebody's ear off. Okay, so that's that's an extension of his love to God and Jesus and in a moment of weakness. Before he denied Jesus three times, he cut somebody's ear off. So when you think about it, does that mean he don't love God? No, it doesn't mean that at all. Um, so when he denied Jesus three times, does it does it mean that he didn't love God? No, it didn't mean that at all. It meant that he was a person who had weaknesses. Peter was scared out of his mind. Jesus was about to be crucified. And if he had been identified as somebody who walked with him, he feared the same fate. When I really started to look at that, I'm like, yo, so my husband or whoever you can place whoever you need to place um in this scenario um is in a situation where there is something that is um overcoming him there's something that is driving him that's that's in the driver's seat that's that's not um it's not supposed to be in the driver's seat so it's a decision that i have to make to believe that just because something else is in the driver's seat, whether it's fear, whether it's lust, whether it's, um, uh, I mean, you can, you can put whatever you need to in the driver's seat at that moment, just because something else is in the driver's seat at that moment doesn't mean he doesn't love me. And what, what unforgiveness will do is it will make it seem like that thing that he did in that moment or, or she did in that moment is always in the driver's seat. And that's, it's not. So it starts to take away from the value of a person, a value of the that love that they have um, because you're holding on forgiveness. When you start to forgive, you start to realize what Jesus did when he restored Peter. He asked them a question. Do you love me? Yeah, of, of course. Of course, I love you. I do love you. And that's what Peter needed to remember. That in spite of my mistake, in spite of, you know, me being driven by fear in that moment that maybe they were going to crucify me too. It wasn't that I didn't love you um, because it's crazy. Just um, moments before Jesus, um, Peter denied Jesus. He was sitting there saying, I'm, I, I would never leave you. Like when they were at the Last Supper, I would never leave you. I'd go to the ends of the earth for you. And then he denied him. Doesn't mean it didn't mean what he said. It means like what Ben said, that we're humans, we're in a fallen state. So I believe Peter meant what he said. Sometimes it's just the same thing when you're looking at husbands and you're looking at wives. I believe when they say these vows, they mean what they say. But we have to account for the fact that there are so many things in this world that if we have not dealt with them, we will allow them to be in the driver's seat. And this is not in any way, because I know some people are probably like, um, you know, you're making excuses for the other person. You're really, really not. You're acknowledging humanity. Once we acknowledge humanity, the humanity that's in us all, it becomes much easier to see how someone could love you and still do something that hurts you deeply. Now, Jesus, 
did what most of us need to do. Get your mind off of what they did wrong and see the entire person. He didn't just see Peter as that's what we do. We let that one moment become who the entire person is. Peter was not just somebody who denied Jesus three times. Peter was not just somebody who um, cut off somebody's ear. Peter was also the man who had walked with Jesus for three years. Peter was also the man who saw Jesus um, in his true form on that um, on that mountain. That's who that's who Peter was. That moment or moments because sometimes they happen over and over again. They do not define the person. So you got to you got to let that go. They still love you and especially if they're willing to to make right what was done wrong, they still love you. Because here's the thing, Peter could have just ran and hid. Peter was right there with the rest of the disciples because he still did love Jesus and Jesus acknowledged that. And that's what we have to acknowledge about the other person. They still love you. They just had a moment or moments um and 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 you just got to deal with that yeah uh man i don't even need to be here <laughs> she can run this whole thing by herself she giving she hitting all my points before i even get to them <laughs> but <laughs> i won't beat a dead horse once again and let's move into the second part of this podcast let's go into some practical ways we can we can, as the offenders, participate. Remember, active participation. Participate in the restoration process and regain trust and rebuild the relationship from our point of view. Uh, just before I get into it, these things will not mean that the offended the things that the offended do in the restoration process are necessarily right or wrong. All these are focused on I, the person who committed the hurt. How should I respond and what should I be doing to best remedy the situation, regardless of whether the actions of the offended are correct? So I want to get that out the way because there will be some things that I say that may come off as no, wait, that's not biblical. Understanding, I'm not saying what the other person is doing is right. I'm telling you to focus on yourself, look inwards, and do everything you can do right. And that will be the best way for you to help the situation and let the other person focus on everything they should be doing right. Don't be the person to look across and point a finger saying, hey, you're doing that wrong in this process. You shouldn't be doing that. That never Helps mm -hmm. usually if it's something just blatant. OK, but usually that never helps. Both parties usually have to focus on making sure they're doing everything within themselves the proper way. To progress the situation. Now, let's start with the very first tip. This is the biggest one I already touched on a little bit earlier, but without this tip, every other tip is null and void because I believe this is probably one of the biggest things, biggest reasons why people tend to fall in the first place. Actually, no, it is the biggest reason. It's the only reason from a Christian perspective, this is the only reason why people fall. And the number one thing I can tell people to do in a relationship that they're trying to rebuild after trust has been lost and pain has been inflicted is to commit spiritually. 
by no surprise, pretty sure people was going to expect that. But mm-hmm. the first thing it takes is a spiritual commitment to God from the person from both parties. Even if, you know, the offended party wasn't, you know, uh, didn't do anything. Both parties still have to have a spiritual commitment to God. The cross is up and down and left and right. People like to say the first five commandments are between you and God. And the second half are between you and man. But those second half, the second half, which are left and right, the cross is a post in the ground, up and down and left and right. That left and right is literally dependent upon the up and down part of the cross. Which means anything you do towards man is a direct reflection of that up and down relationship between you and God. And when it comes to restoration in marriage, especially if I'm talking to men who have hurt their wives, when it comes to regaining trust, you're going to have to commit spiritually to walking with God throughout this process. And this is a big way to regain trust because you as a leader have lost more than just trust, but you've lost the feeling of security in respect towards your spouse. And when you commit spiritually and not only commit to a spiritual walk with God, even more than you ever had before, you show your wife that there is something bigger than her guiding this process. Remember, we're talking about from a Christian perspective. If both of you guys don't believe, you need to start because this is the only answers we have. And we know that these are the best answers. You must commit spiritually. What does that look like? Whatever it is, let's say you didn't do daily devotionals before. Do daily devotionals. And through these daily devotionals, share the knowledge that you have gained in your time with God, with your spouse. This is a level of spiritual leadership that you can depict in your marriage that will help gain the trust of your spouse. And if you are a wife that has committed to hurt, this is also a level of spiritual commitment showing your husband that, hey, I'm learning from the one who ultimately could fix anything and everything. Everything is dependent upon the up and down relationship. This was told to us early in our relationship. Um, uh, the counselor that we were seeing told us that, hey, the biggest uh, the biggest reason, the biggest problem seeing here is that you guys are too focused on each other and you're not focused on your relationship with Christ. You're focused left and right. But I need you guys to focus up and down. And at the time, I had no idea what that meant. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know. OK, yeah. You know, relationship with Christ. OK. All right. I'm going to read the Bible. No, we're talking about is <laughs> is deeper than that. It's deeper than just reading the word. You must become doers of the word. So when it comes to the, the, the spiritual commitment. Increase your daily devotionals, you know, if it was just a five minute reading, do a 10 minute reading. Do um, a led devotionals by people. Buy Christ, faith based books, Christian faith based books. Regarding your situation, people who have already torn through the word of God and have gotten answers based from the Bible can tell you what they've done in processes and tell you the answers that the Bible states. Because at the end of the day, 
when it comes to fixing these issues, I can tell you everything that we have done is stated in the Bible. While it may not have while it may not have been explicitly stated, while a lot of things are, it is it is implied through the wording of the word. So that's the biggest one. Commit spiritually. What do you feel about that, Tia? Um, I think that's extremely important because while the offended has while the offender has to make this commitment to um restoring trust and all this other stuff, the offended has to recommit themselves to the marriage. So while one of the big thing is one of the big things is that while you're reading about um restoring trust, I'm reading about just marriage, you know, and and so both of you essentially are having to go back once 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 hurt has occurred everybody the hurt person the person who hurt the person is having to go back to um god because here's the thing and and most people i struggled with this for a long time because i kept looking at ben like and and this is why conversations would go sour because i'm like all right fix my hurt and it's crazy because you're looking at somebody who's broken and asking them to fix your broken places. Like they, they, they hurt you and, and you're asking them immediately after they hurt you, all right, come clean up this mess. Well, I can guarantee you that if, if they knew how, they probably wouldn't even have made the mess in the first place. So it's really not a lot they can do, especially in the beginning, as far as healing your hurt. So you find yourself in a position where there's really only one person you can go to. And even as you begin to, as you continue to walk out the process of um, forgiveness, one of the things that I've realized is that even as Ben is becoming more mature and leading and stuff like that, there are still some spaces that he's hurt in me that he can't touch, that he can't, he can't really, uh, he can't fix. And so I have to find myself constantly in God's word. One of the things that like, if so you're, as you're, as I've been walking through the process of forgiveness, you know, Ben has to work. We got a kid now. I can't spend If I'm having a thought, or if I'm, if I'm wrestling with something, you know, I can't always go to him. I can't always do that. I have to, um, I have to go to my source and that source is God. So that's why I both have to commit to God. It's not just the other person. And that's one thing that it, it rocked me when we first started, you know, getting help from people. Cause they were like, yeah, Takiya, you got, you got stuff you got to do too. And I'm like, no, I don't. I <laughs> Like I, it almost made me want to cuss. I ain't got nothing to do. I ain't do nothing. I I I've been here. I've been doing what I'm supposed to do as a wife. No, he got all the stuff that he got to do, and it was like that's that was really my belief for a long time, and I and I realized um as I kept trying to fix it or I kept trying to do this or I kept trying to do that um. One of one one of the biggest things somebody told me um in the beginning was you can't do nothing until you get healed. And where do we get healing from? Get healing from God. Now, now of course, trust and all that stuff. I'm I'm not saying that the other person doesn't have work to do because they do. But for you, for your soul to be healed. Um, because it's when you think about it, if I, you know, um 
if I'm cooking and I cut myself, you know, there's a healing process where that hurt is, where that where that cut is. And doctors can give me Band-Aids and they can give me ointment. But there is some stuff that they just can't do. And they they're the doctor. So it's the same way with the offended. They can give you Band-Aids and they can give you ointment. But there's some stuff deep down on the inside that just has to heal on its own. And that healing for our soul comes from God. Um, spending time with him um, and just committing ourselves to him. So once you've been hurt, you really do have to recommit yourself to the vows that you made for better or for worse. You really do have to recommit yourself to, um, like I said, when you get married, you make a vow to three people, yourself, the other person and God. So you're having to revisit the vow that you made. And that's why it's important for both of you to consistently be in the face of God and consistently be in your word. And one thing that we do um, is we read. We're readers. So he's reading something that speaks to what is going on in his life. And I'm reading something that speaks to what's going on in my life. And they both go right back to God. So it's very true that both of you have to make a commitment to God to get through this process. Yes. And as from the husband's perspective, once again, the commitment to God is ultimately what's going to show your wife that there is a level of change that is taking place. That is true change and is change that is more profound than any other change that you can make. You actually spending time with God and walking with him, practicing the principles that are taught in the Bible and making actual behavioral changes, showing that fervor, the spiritual fervor is the number one thing that is going to help remedy the situation because that will guide the rest of the process because you'll have a certain outlook on the process. You'll understand what you need to do. Your wife will understand what she needs to do. And that will put both of you guys on the same page because you guys are both getting your principles and what needs to be done from the same exact source. And God is always right. So he will not lead you wrong. Second thing I want to get into is honesty and transparency. And the way one author uh, put it was transparency versus translucency. This this, uh, was great. And when it comes to honesty... The biggest thing I want you to understand is when it comes to a relationship that now lacks trust, your spouse now lacks trust in you. You are in a situation where you are essentially walking on eggshells through no fault of your other spouse. You took your freedom and you used the freedom that you had to hurt your spouse. And the way it was put to me. The way I was reading it, um, the author said, your freedom is no longer a virtue. It has become a liability. So when it comes to things that you speak and things that you do, you must be very black and white. Now, there can be no room for gray areas in the things you say and the things you tell your spouse because your word is on shaky ground or no ground at all anymore because you have violated trust. Your spouse asks you, hey, are you going to be home by five? And you know that you're going to be home at 502. 
say, no, I will not be home by five. I will be home by 5.05. You cannot set yourself up for failure. These things, it may seem nitpicky, but in a situation where trust has been violated, every little thing can become bigger than what it may seem. Not because it uh, not because your spouse is trying to punish you or your spouse is trying to even the playing field. They're trying to watch your every little move. It's simply because your spouse has lost trust in you. And when things don't line up. They fear disappointment and it brings back all the old memories of the first time they figured out you were not doing what you should be doing. So when it feels like, hey, man, I can't dude, I, I ain't got no room to do nothing. I can't even exaggerate no more. Sometimes when we playing, if I say something and it don't line up, whatever. She on me. Well, bro, y'all in a sensitive time in your relationship now. This is this is part of the healing process. Now, remember, I'm not saying when other spouses do this to an extreme level that it is right. But I'm telling you what is and what is not and what is your best way to handle this situation. You need to be very careful with your words. Everything is black and white. Either it is a lie or it is the truth. If it's in the middle, it's a lie. Exactly. You need to be very careful. Try to be as exact as possible. And understand that in times where you may mess up and you didn't necessarily lie. It can be your reputation will be counted against you and it will automatically be assumed that you are withholding something or you're not telling something. And a lie by omission is a lie. Black and white, yes or no. This is the way you have to carry your speech and have to carry your behavior from now until this process is done. And another part I want to talk about is transparency. Transparency in everything that you do. In this process, your spouse will have a lot of questions and anything and everything that you do can be scrutinized. Your freedom to come and go as you please, your freedom to do X, Y, and Z as you please will be under strict, not surveillance, but the other person will be very weary of what you're doing now because trust has been violated. And this is just the natural reaction for most people, not all, but most people. And in that process, one of the things that you can do as the person who has violated trust is be transparent in everything that you do. Uh, passwords to anything and everything that you are in charge of, your spouse gets. Bank accounts are now joint if they weren't joint already. The time that you spend outside of working hours is accounted for by your spouse and hopefully by somebody else. Uh, shoot, you know, when you're cooking and your cooking took too long <laughs> and you know that previously you would watch porn or something when you cook, all that is now up for surveillance. I'll just say it for lack of a better word. All that is now out in the open. You have to be 100% transparent. And then what you have to be is proactive in the situation 
when it comes to things that can seem sketchy, you have to be aware of the current circumstances and you have to get in front of potential problems. If there ever comes a point in time where you came home late from work, you know, it was nothing. There was you didn't do anything. We understand you didn't do anything. You didn't do anything wrong. You can't get mad if your spouse is a little upset by that. Get ahead of it. Say, hey, this is what happened. Try to put out as much detail as possible, because this is the difference between transparency and translucency. Something that is translucent is like something that's uh, a sheer is sheer. You can uh, when you, some people have a bathroom curtains where you can see the body behind it, but it's so blurry. That's translucency. You know, there's something behind there, but there's details that you cannot make out. And this is how a spouse feels when they feel that you're being translucent and not transparent. And that's when the questions start to come into play. If you get ahead of it and you start telling so much detail, trust me, your spouse gonna be like, okay, all right, I got it, I got it, I got it. You ain't do nothing. Mm-hmm. You get ahead of it. Try to answer every potential question before that they before they can arise. And also answer every question that does arise to the best of your ability. Understand the current circumstances. You must be transparent, completely transparent in detail, detail, detail is your friend in these situations, even in situations where you did do something wrong. Detail, detail, detail up to the extent that the uh, your spouse is willing to hear. Because you want to show that you have nothing to hide because in the past you had something to hide. You want to do the exact opposite. You want to go as far, flee from the even sight, even the sight of sin. If people can even think you're doing something wrong. This is this is the situation that you put yourself in because you use your freedom to violate trust. So now. You lose your freedom for a period of time. This is just what ha- has to happen. And this is one of the things that I struggle with early on and still even struggle with to this day in some instances. But it's getting better and better day by day. And I now have a greater understanding of why I have to do certain things because these things were told to me. But it was early on. I wasn't even able to receive them yet. But now I understand. And I'm telling you. This will be a problem in early on in the process because one person may feel like they lost all their rights and the other person may feel like, hey, you have no rights because you use your rights to do the wrong thing. We're not talking about right or wrong. We're talking about what is. And I'm telling you from the offending person's point of view, this is the best way to handle the situation. Everything is black and white. Yes or no. Do not leave anything up for interpretation because when the hurt spouse feels like they have to decipher, interpret and pull out more detail from what you're saying, it only adds on to the level of mistrust that was already placed in by your initial actions. Skia? Um, I would say just even hearing you, you talk about it brought back so many memories and, and I think, um, there is a lot that now we're like I said, how time brings clarity. There's a lot that um, I can see now that I didn't know how to say 
um, that that's very clear now through both of us going back to God and, and just being open to listen to what people have said that have actually walked through it. Um, being on the, the side of the person who is requesting these things, who's, who's having these questions, um, it's important that the offender, I think that's right, yeah, knows that it's a struggle. No sane woman or man wants to be in a situation where they have to uh, second guess everything that you're doing. So if you feel like you married to somebody that's sane, I want you to know that as excruciating as the process is for you giving up your freedom, it's also an excruciating process for them because now they can't trust you. Things that should be simple are now complicated and everything speaking from the, 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 um, the person who, who has been hurt, everything is being brought into question. Um, it's just how your mind works after you've been hurt, especially when it's a repetitive hurt. Um, you heard somebody once and, and that's the thing, like in the beginning, you know, I thought everything was very simple, you know, as once everything, uh, was we were dealing with everything everything was very simple so you know there was still certain freedoms that he had that I didn't think I really didn't think anything of it's like oh just that's just what it is now as as hurt became more repetitive everything became a where you at what you doing um when things take too long um you do start to think the worst or um when something doesn't line up whether it's, you know, even the work I can, you know, just see in my mind, the work thing, you know, coming home from work, you know, like you took too long. Like usually you get in at, at 8.02, it's 8.05. Like what's somebody going to do in two minutes? But, you know, like, Everything like is, yeah. It's a sensitive situation. Everything matters at this point in time. Yeah. Whether you feel like it or not. Going to get pizza. Like, nah, that took one minute over what it's supposed to take. So I don't know what you was doing. So, um. And and here's the thing, it's important that this is this is why um things like this, I can see how couples get closer. And this might sound like so backwards, how intimacy gets better, because especially when it's um when it's the man who has hurt you, because now you have to be something that most men don't like being, which is um, just because of their nature, just because of the nature of men. It's it's natural for women to give details. Um, but throughout this process, it teaches a man how to be sensitive to a woman, to kind of understand, to kind of come on the other side of a woman um, with these details. And it does increase intimacy because then it just becomes a a pattern. It be, it becomes a habit for the man that they just give details and women love details, period. Whether you've done something wrong or whether you're just talking about your day, you know, they're really just interested in details. So um, if you allow it, this process can actually make your marriage that much better. Um, it can take uh, the the ashes of, of a situation and, and, and really God can give it beauty. And um, so, yeah, but to back up, um, I can just remember, you know, just me being on the side that I'm on, you know, it's like a minute late and, and, and I'm panicking. Like I'm, you know, and, and, and I can see how, uh, to another person who's, who's doing the right thing or trying to do the right thing. It's like, Oh God, I got come home and I got to deal with this. Um, it's not something that we do on purpose. It's just how it is now. Um, and when, when you say, uh, I think you, whoever said it, they said it beautifully, you know, this, the sad reality is you did have freedom and you did use your freedom to do something that hurt another person. And, and like I said, in the beginning, 
you you probably made that decision. It didn't take long to make that decision to carry out whatever you whatever it is that you did. But it's going to take a it's going to take time to uh, you do something wrong, do one thing wrong. And it probably take about six months to heal that. And if it's repetitive, it could take years, you know. So um, it's important that you understand uh, just as you are feeling like your freedom is lost. The other person has lost their freedom, too, because here's the thing. You going to work, you going to get pizza. That used to be a time of peace for the other person, for the person that you hurt. That used to be a time of just, you know, it is what it is. They going about their life. They, you know, oh, I'm about to watch TV or I'm about to go shopping or I'm about to, you know, whatever. Now that time for them is filled with questions. It's filled with worry. It's filled with doubt. So both of you are going through a process where freedom is lost. And it's the enemy who tells you you're the only one that's suffering. You're giving up so much. I want you to understand that the other person, you gave it up freely. The other person is having to suffer with something that they didn't even give up. They didn't, they didn't walk into these decisions. They didn't, they didn't make these decisions. So both of you essentially have lost uh, an aspect of your freedom and it's going to take, it's almost like a baby learning to crawl and a baby learning to walk. What used to come natural in a relationship is now going to have to be fought for. So I can remember even for myself, you know, doing regular things, uh, going to grocery store or whatever, or, you know, what used to be just a time of, bet I'm about to get in the car because Ben don't like loud music. I'm about to get in the car. I'm about to blast this music. I had a time in my life with this five minute grocery store ride. Yeah, you go ahead and do that. Yeah. But now in some moments it's filled with questions. Like, I wonder what's going to happen. You know, I wonder, I wonder what's going to happen while I'm gone. So both of you, I can say for myself, I think now. It's gotten so much better as I've depended on God. Um, I'm able to turn the music up and not think about anything anymore. But there was a period where I couldn't even turn the music up because I was so filled with worry. I was so filled with like, oh, God, you know, what's going to happen? I don't know. So both of you are walking through that process. And it's it's important that um, you walk through it together. So with detail for me saying, um, you know, what it is I felt. And then for you, on the other hand, reassuring or whatever, um, it actually does build your marriage. So, yeah. Yep. So with that said, I want to get into one more thing before we end this podcast. And that is restitution. Yes. In the eyes of the believer, this idea of restitution is a hard one to reconcile because we're supposed to turn the other cheek. You know, nobody owes you anything. You're supposed to forgive. And yes, that is true. But what we also have to understand is when a hurt has been committed and trust has been violated, you have a situation where certain things were lost. And we're dealing on just an actual relational level, right? We're not talking about what the other person has to do. We're talking about the best way you need to have best outlook you as the offender need to have on the situation. Understand when you did what you did, the other person lost trust, potentially security, and most definitely respect. So what we, so when I say restitution as returning something that is owed to someone I'm talking about it from the perspective of the situation of, let's say you feel like, hey, all I have to do 
is not do that act anymore and things will go back to normal. That's not true. Even in Ephesians 4, it says, the thief steals no more, but let his hand also do something good. So you don't just stop stealing. You need to now start putting your hands towards good work. And that's what I mean by restitution. Now you have to put your hands toward rebuilding trust, rebuilding security, and rebuilding respect. This will be happening in front and behind your spouse's back. That's where integrity comes into play. If you were a spouse that committed adultery, you need to start acting in the workplace or everywhere you go with a level of respect towards your spouse that you did not have previously. As a man, the way you uh, associate and speak to women that are not your spouse must change drastically if that is your downfall. The re- that's, that's where respect comes into play. You must distance yourself from other women in the workplace as much as possible. Uh, every man's battle says becoming the dweeb. If you know a woman is being flirtatious, flirtatious with you, I mean, you could blatantly say, I'm a married man. I love my wife. I am a Jesus follower. Leave me alone, woman. <laughs> That's better than entertaining it and ending up in a situation that is bad for your marriage. When it comes to rebuilding trust, everything we're saying is part of that trust rebuilding process. And as far as like even more practical, it always starts in the little things. Remember, you say you're coming home at five, you better be home at 458. <laughs> Don't come home at 501. That takes away rather than give credence to it. If you say you're going to take the trash out, you better take the trash out. Starts with the little things. Everything is a Lego piece to this entire mountain of trust that you're trying to rebuild. And then when it comes to security, whatever it is, if you're a person that will watch internet porn at work, that can leave your spouse feeling unsecure because you have a potential of losing your job. If you're a person who is an adulterer, that can leave your spouse unsecure because they may feel that you're going to leave them. You're out here for everybody. Mm-hmm. You're not. I'm here for everybody. <laughs> you out here for everybody. You're not mine. <laughs> you out here for so that's That's a level of insecurity that can be planted in your spouse because of your actions. If you're a person that's bad with money, you have a a a a, a history of mismanaging finances. Not even saying you're doing something that is necessarily intentionally wrong. Even if it's an accident, I'm still not going to trust you with the money because you just don't know how to handle money. <laughs> that's a level of insecurity that can be planted in your spouse. How do we go about remedying these things that were once lost first trust whatever it is whatever trust that you violated not only must you stop stop that behavior you must take actions to show that you are better in that area so for example uh let's say let's go with the adultery you know you you had a you had a problem with speaking to women freely and you let yourself succumb to the desires of your flesh. 
when did you commit these acts? Were they after work? Okay, well, it's from work straight home. And when you're coming from work home, you're on FaceTime with your spouse the entire time. Things of that nature. I'm trying to tell you, it may seem extreme, but these things are what it takes. And the more you are committed to these processes, the faster the healing process can take place. For security, let's go with the money. Let's say you mismanage money. Okay, not only do you have to stop mismanaging money, but you can relinquish the money managing uh, responsibilities to your spouse. And what you have to do, remember, stop doing the bad act and show that you're getting better in that area. Go read a financial book. Go take some classes. Start showing that you're making strides to improve in the area that you damaged. And then respect. This is one that is going to be done in front of your spouse and behind your spouse's back. Uh, Just like I said at work, the respect for your spouse in the workplace. And then also in front of your spouse's face. If you're someone who shows a lack of respect for your spouse, you must not only stop disrespecting them, but you must go the extra mile. So when you're with your friends and your spouse is in your presence, you can't allow nothing to go down. No jokes, no nothing. Hey, nope, that's off limits. Nope. Hey, you're with the in-laws. You know, your in-laws could talk crazy. Nope. Hey, nope, that's off limits. Hey, nah, ain't none of that. Oh, no, nah, we leaving. We got to go. We can't do that. Every single chance you get to show respect and go above and beyond, you must take because respect was lost. So you have to stop the bad behavior and you must go the extra mile to improve on the area that you damaged. Any thoughts? Um, Absolutely. Um, It's important that you show your spouse that you are committed to um regaining trust or or whatever it is, restoring whatever it is that was lost or broken or whatever. So going the extra mile might seem like a lot, but when you think about the fact that you love the person, um, that should help as you are doing those things. And then just understanding that both of y'all are in the battle together. Both of y'all, especially if, here's the thing. If the spouse that you hurt has uh, agreed to work with you through this, you both have made a commitment to each other. So it's not like, you know, you're the only one that's out here working. You're the only one that's out here doing things. Um, one of the the biggest things about these types of hurt is that not only are they, they're not a physical hurt, they're an emotional hurt. So for someone to even walk through the process of trying to get healed from an emotional hurt is work. So uh, you can, uh, you can debunk the lie that you're the only one that's out here doing something. You're the only one that has to work and has to do X, Y, and Z. The other person has to do work too. Um, and, and like I said in the beginning, no sane person, male, female, wants to question the love or the um, or the anything of the person that they love. It's not something they want to do. It's not something they want to spend their time doing. The Bible even talks about how love casts out all fear. So it's, it's supposed to be a love is supposed to be a freeing process. It's supposed to be a a freeing thing. So of course, when you're walking through this process of restoration, it's not, it doesn't always feel like that. And um, no, but nobody, the intent of love was that it would be a freeing thing. So as you're walking through this process of healing, 
it's the same thing with the Bible. Um, there were a lot of things that happened that had to happen that wouldn't have had to happen if um, sin had never occurred. So although it is supposed to be this freeing process, this freeing thing that you have access to, now you got to jump through all these hoops. You got to, you know, so it's, it's a lot of stuff you got to do. Um, but the, the end result, will be a, a greater intimacy. And I always, I was always like looking at people when I was looking at uh, marriages and stuff and they're like, yeah, we're better after that happened. I'm like, y'all smoke some sort of crack. How in the world? Dope. Yeah, like, how in the world can you be better? But when you think about it, um, what, what's happening is what, what's happening is you're, you're actually getting what you're supposed to have in marriage anyway. When when you talk about um, when you were when you were saying like uh, if in laws disrespect or friends disrespect or or the stuff you're doing at work that ain't supposed to go down anyway like it it shouldn't be happening anyway so all it's doing is teaching you how to be in right relationship with your spouse and it is teaching you a lot faster probably than than you would have liked because I think I think a a, a huge part of um, our marriage has has grown us up very quickly. So it's a lot of stuff that, you know, people have been married for years and they'll listen to our podcast and they'll be like, dang, how you learn that? Because uh, because because we went through something. Like, <laughs> look, hey, these processes are going to force you to face the music. Yeah. And you're going to have to. You're going to have to look. Mm-hmm. If you a man, you were a mouse and I ain't no mouse. Here we go. That's all I'm going to say. You like, put up and shut up. Put up or shut up. Right. Yeah, so lay down or get down. It's it's interesting because it forces you to learn lessons that people don't learn um probably till like 18, 19 years of marriage. Um and like we said before, you know, with this process, it we don't argue about simple stuff. You know, it 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 alleviated all that crazy stuff that that most people would go through. Um it diminished its power. Um and now we're working on the big stuff. And what that does is, even though it's not it's not something I would have chosen, what that does is it deals with all of the stuff now so that our kids won't have to see certain things like we're already God is already working it out. God's already fixing it um, for us right now. So I think it's important that you recognize the beauty. Well, all I'm like as we're as we're doing this podcast, um, Although, you know, this stuff hurts, although this stuff is not something I would have wished on myself, it's not something I would have wanted. Um, all I can see is the beauty that God is bringing out of our marriage through us deciding to um, journey together for uh, through this uh, restoration process. And then just thinking about the books that were even the books that we we're reading, if these couples didn't stick it out, then we wouldn't even know what to do. So even the fact that they stuck it out, the beauty is that they can write books. The beauty is that they can help couples like us who are walking through the same things. So um, it's important that you keep on going. And like I said, one of the biggest points I got while you were talking is that that's what should happen anyway. So all you're doing is learning what you were supposed to know in the first place. That's the way I see it. Yeah, folks, this process can go one of two ways. It can ruin a marriage or it can strengthen the marriage beyond return. Yeah. So if you walk out the steps, you know, there's so much more stuff. I'm going to give some tips, not some tips, but 
you know, I'll give out the book that I'm currently reading. Um, basically, as a matter of fact, I'm not even gonna give out the book. I'll just say uh the Everyman's Battle series, that author, Stephen Arterburn, just go pick up everything he ever written regarding mm-hmm. relationships, pain and hurt, and restoring that. Go pick up just go pick that up. Um there's much more that can be said on this topic, but we have already went over time. So I'll just do a quick recap of the main points that can be done to help the situation and uh, be used to walk this process out in a better matter. The biggest one is you got to commit spiritually, both parties. For the males, this will help restore trust. For the women, this will help restore trust. And also, this will put you in a situation where you can lead better as the man in the relationship and of course we got Aubrey back in the background she looked back up but I'm gonna keep going also you gotta be honest and transparent don't be translucent details 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 everything is black and white alright guys everything is black and white lastly restitution it's not enough simply just to stop doing the bad behavior you must also Put your hands to good work and show that you are doing something positive with your time. You can't just stop doing something and then just do nothing. Nope. Stop doing something and then do good with the rest of the time that you have. So ultimately, guys, that's all we got. So y'all know the close. I am your host, Benjamin Atkins. This is the Atkins Family Podcast, and I was joined by my lovely wife. Yeah, Atkins. I don't know if she said that in the background. She got Aubrey. Mm-hmm. But that's all we got, folks. See you next time.